what frustrates me most about most movies, it's like, if they're bad, I can deal with it. What frustrates me more is that when you almost have something and you don't fully reach it. Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here at Cinenation, we spend each month discussing film genres and the tropes and stories within them. My co-host, Thomas Horton, isn't joining us today, but we do have a returning guest, Jonathan Norris, who is coming on the show to talk about a movie today. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be back on so soon, too. Yeah, it's and this is a, this is a, a different episode, it feels like, for what we usually do. I told you beforehand, we don't... We don't tend to try to just cover like great movies or good movies, but the movie we're covering today is kind of a flawed, flawed film that's going to be interesting to talk about. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. But so today's episode, we're continuing our month long journey through movie sequels. And last week, we took a look at the long awaited sequel of Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, and kind of the, the history around that and how. It was a cult classic that maybe shouldn't have been made because it ended up costing so much money, but kind of gained a following within the film community. Uh, today is kind of the flip side of that. The movie we're covering was also a long, long awaited sequel that didn't really get a following afterwards. And today's movie is the 1990 film, The Two Jakes. And this is a sequel to the masterful film Chinatown from 1974. Uh, before we dive into the film, brief recap of what we talked about regarding sequels this past month in terms of the tropes. Um, you have these kind of long-awaited sequels that are big gaps in between each film. I know Thomas, he kind of broke it down as that you have the sequel that people want to make and uh, there's a lot of story left in the studios behind it. Then you have the ones where you can tell it's just for a paycheck. And then you have some that like, some people really want to make it and really passionate about it, but you don't know why they're wanting to kind of continue the story. And I feel like the two Jakes might fit into that category of, Hey, people really want to make it. They've been trying, they've been trying to make this movie for 16 years. That was them trying to make it for 16 years and nothing really happened. And then finally a decade and a half later, the two Jakes was made where it was made. And I sent you the list of sequels and this was the first one you picked or the only one you picked. Why did you want to talk about the two Jakes, Jonathan? Sure. So, yeah, you sent me the letterbox list uh, that we posted a couple of maybe a week or so ago and yeah. went through it, I think, one time. And then I sort of forgot about it and I came back and revisited and I saw like Jack Nicholson on the cover. And I was yeah just it piqued my interest because I hadn't I just never heard of that title before. And then when I realized mm -hmm. it was a sequel to Chinatown, which I was a huge fan of, I've just I've never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it. And I just wanted to kind of give it a shot and really revisit that world of kind of the like 40s L.A., uh, what Jack Nicholson would kind of bring back to the role, especially with the time gap, like you mentioned. I didn't realize yeah. I mean, he was definitely older from like, I had to go back and watch some of the old scenes from Chinatown just to yeah. see how much he had aged. So I was interested to kind of see what he would take on with it being older. Yeah, he was at this point uh, 52 when he made The Two Jakes. So that means he was like uh, 36 when he made um, Chinatown. Yeah, it's a uh, it's. The, for those who don't know, it's a sequel. It's a sequel to Chinatown. You can stream it on Crackle for free right now if you guys do Crackle. I guess there's ads. 
Um, it's also on CBS All Access if you had that. And you can also rent it on Amazon Prime. I think you can even buy it on Amazon Prime for like $3.99. It's pretty cheap. Um, or wherever you get your, your movie rentals or wherever. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a weird movie because like you said, it's people don't really talk about it. And it was a weird period at the beginning of the 90s where they were remaking movies to like uh kind of classics beforehand like we talked about this in back in may when we covered the last picture show where there was a sequel to sequel to it with texasville that came out around the same time and there was just kind of this like weird uh period where like people were wanting to revisit these older classic stories and most of them like didn't age well and another example would be godfather part three where it's like you're trying to make a a sequel to a masterpiece and that's a very that's a very big uh undertaking and with the two jakes it it's definitely fits in that category where like it's it's not a masterpiece on par with chinatown but i think it is a good film that's almost there and it's a little it's 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 not a masterpiece that we sh- like that we should like herald as a classic but we should like it is an interesting discussion um so what were your thoughts when watching this film a little similar to what you're saying in regards to i don't know that it measures up to uh the height of chinatown but it mm-hmm. kind of it hits on i mean fairly the just similar things of kind of what ties to chinatown and trying to kind of build on certain things i think for me what kind of made it feel i guess lesser there were just certain and what made me kind of appreciate chinatown even more was i think the lack of like a massive reveal like the way you get in chinatown um mm-hmm. between dunaway and nicholson um like realizing the and, Spoilers for anyone who has not seen Chinatown. Yeah, there, there's going to be spoilers of Chinatown and probably two Jakes in here. So just be be wary. Right, guys. So, yeah, of like the whole like he's she's my sister and daughter and just kind of this um, this sense of everything feels super rigged and there's just this corruption that you're constantly fighting against. And it feels like just this massive tie that you can't resist. And I think it really kind of captures that. And like that final scene of um, him seeing uh, Dunaway's character die and just seeing like this like catatonic horror and like numbness to his yeah. of like everything he's tried to do just didn't work. And it's yeah kind of that like it ends with that famous line of like, don't worry, Jake, like, don't worry about it. It's Chinatown. Like, for, and it forget, just... it, forget it, Jake. It, for, yeah, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Right. And yeah. I think for me with two Jakes, I felt like I didn't really kind of get those moments that I think really kind of put it to that height. It definitely tied in a lot of kind of previous things of like the politics and business of fighting for resources and land and even just like changing land titles and stuff, which was kind of prevalent even in Chinatown. And yeah. it hinted on a lot of things, but yeah i think for me it's definitely like the the reveal or like having kind of that big um climax to me felt missing yeah yeah and we'll we'll, we'll dive into that later so for for those who don't know that haven't watched two jakes or, or need a refresher 
Two Jakes is about J.J. Giddis, Jake Giddis, who's played by Jack Nicholson, who is this private investigator in Los Angeles. And in Chinatown, it takes place in the pre-World War II times, and he's covering... His, man, most of his jobs are covering like marital issues of adultery and usually husbands who are trying to find out if their wife is cheating on them or vice versa. It's 1948. I think it's about a decade later. I think it's 11 years later. 11 years later from Chinatown. And Giddies, Giddis is doing the same thing. He is doing doing cases about marital affairs. I think his his investigation unit has gotten a little bit bigger. He's more successful. Uh, but in this movie, some some past issues, which uh, originated in Chinatown, are going to come back up. And he's hired at the beginning of the movie to co- to find out if this if uh, Jake Berman, another Jake, played by Harvey Keitel, if his wife is cheating on him. And the beginning, the opening scene is basically found out Jack Nicholson is is coaching Keitel on how to approach the wife and how to say oh you've you you've come here and you've cheated on me with my business partner actually that's a real that doesn't happen till later but you've cheated on me with this man in this hotel and there and jack nicholson is recording it in the other room what ends up happening is that berman uh goes off script and ends up shooting and killing the man that's having an affair with his wife and the whole case is nicholson gets the audio tape of the murder and everyone's after the recording of the shooting because the the recording will prove that Berman did it and he's going to go to jail for it. And Nicholson, because it's his client is under like kind of the ethical reasons that he can't really give that tape over, but if he doesn't give it over, he's going to jail. So it's, that's kind of the the conflict at the beginning of the movie, but then the plot just gets really complicated. Like I know Chinatown's also complicated, but I don't remember feeling like it was this complicated. Like it's a very, convoluted plot the big thing in this movie the first uh the first film dealt with water and the drought in la and then this movie deals with oil and discovery of oil in los angeles uh it does cover a good period of just like how what's what's changing in the world specifically los angeles post-world war ii la was a big hub for people who moved out west to find jobs Another film that covered that around the same time was Devil in a Blue Dress starring Denzel Washington, also kind of a neo-noir detective film. But like people are moving out west, they're get they're they're buying these suburbs su- suburban homes outside in Los Angeles or outside the main city of Los Angeles, and Berman's character is a real estate developer. Um so the two Jakes has a crazy, I don't want to say crazy, but has a very troubled production history. It was they went they can't they started talking about doing a sequel like in 1976 apparently after the success of Chinatown and Nicholson was going to get involved uh producer Robert Evans was going to be returning to produce the film and they brought on screenwriter Robert Town who wrote the original film and won an Oscar for it to write a script for the two Jakes um original director Rome Polanski who was a very problematic person uh at this point had fled uh, do his guilty plea of unlawful sex with a minor, which is a big controversy. And he essentially left the U S after he pled guilty and has basically been seeking asylum in other countries and making all of his films in other countries. So he didn't come back and make the sequel to Chinatown. So they were trying to make it in the seventies. It didn't go off. It was supposed to be Nicholson and Dustin Hoffman originally. 
and we'll get more into kind of the alternate cast later because there's a lot of names that floated around this movie for a long time. Uh, they tried to make it. Uh, it was going to go in 1985, but then the one thing that they were going to have, they were going to have Robert Evans, the producer, who was, or before he started producing, was like a, like acting in these like B-movie westerns and wasn't really a great actor, but he they assumed that he could be a great uh actor to play the Harvey Keitel character, which is a pretty big role in this movie that I would not put a non-actor in. And they found out as they were getting ready to do production, oh man, Robert Evans can't act. Like they did the screen test for him. It didn't work out. Uh, He refused to cut his hair into a 1940s style because he just had plastic surgery and the scars were going to show if he cut his hair that way. So there was a big falling out the picture was like about to get made like like within a, a week or so. And they actually went to set and they're like, Oh yeah, we're not going to do it because of the weather. So like, we're going to not going to shoot today. And they never shot. Um, and Robert Tan was supposed to direct it. They tried it again uh, a few years later. It didn't pan out. And then finally at the end of the like 88, 89 Nicholson came on board and decided he was going to direct the movie and play return as Jake Giddis in the movie. And that's kind of how we'll get more into the alternate universe cast and some other stuff around it, but that's kind of how it came about. Um, so with this one, Jonathan, uh, what were some of your favorite scenes in this movie? I would say off the bat, I really enjoyed any of Nicholson's kind of like internal monologue, like voiceover scenes were super well done i really like the opening Mm -hmm. shot of this too with like the blurry uh out of focus shot and everything uh some really good cinematography work that goes into that stuff as well um Mm -hmm. the uh the reveal between um kitty and Catherine and nicholson um interacting and finding that out yeah oh the uh there's a scene with uh mickey his like henchman to Liberty and Jack when they're trying to get this tape and the way that Jack yeah. is trying to kind of sell them that like, he's kind of thrown this grenade and like trying to kind of not give them the recording. Yeah. I love that from all of them. Um, Mickey was really well played. It, it kind of went into like a, a Godfather impression when they first kind of met each other with and everything. Yeah. Like yeah I yeah. didn't know if it was being played for yeah, humor. Or what? Because like he was serious, but like it also felt very on the nose. So I didn't know what they were trying to go with. But yeah, that character was very. I didn't understand the purpose behind that character for a while, because I thought I I was like, this is just a separate dude who's somehow involved in this story right now. Who just like I want the tapes. Give me the tapes by tomorrow. Blah blah blah. And like he, I think it's like I I feel like he's this like gangster role is what it kind of comes off as. And then I find out like he's like the henchmen are like the second in command to Harvey Keitel's character, Jake Berman. And I was like, Oh, so he does like, he's not a number one guy. He just won the tapes for, for J- it was just, it was confusing. I said, there's a lot of stuff that and maybe that's, it's a rewatch, but like it, the plot is just really, really like we're going here. We're going there. It's about oil. This there's stuff on this land and it's a lot of different stuff and it works in Chinatown. And for here, I'm just, I'm not so sure. Jeez, don't let go of the handle, Jake. You only have about what? Four seconds to answer your calls. No, Nick, you wouldn't have enough time. You were very popular today. Weinberger, Escobar, Weinberger, Weinberger. He wants to sue somebody naturally. Linda, 
Escobar, Linda again? Well, she's nuts about you. I wonder what she wants. Captain Escobar, I know what he wants. He wants the Berman wire recording by the end of business tomorrow. Otherwise, he's going to come after you with a court order for withholding evidence, conspiracy. So, Jake, you got criminal, you got civil, you got love. But before anything of this nature comes to pass, you got me. And I want you to do something for me. I need a favor. Favor? I think that the Berman wire recording is in your safe. So what I want you to do is I want you to open the safe, drop the grenade in the safe, and then most important of all, Jake, close the safe. You're crazy, Mickey. That may be. But do you know a better way to stay healthy? I want to go back to your your comment on the narration because that's a very noir trope is to have that like narrating of like the inner thoughts of the character of uh some because there are a few lines i was like oh that's it's it works i think they do a good job making it work what's so unique to me is that in chinatown there's no narration and in the original script there was and they decided to cut it and here they're like hey let's not do what we did last time and just add the narration in there. So I think I, even though I like the narration, there's something that makes it feel what made Chinatown feel so different that it was a noir, but with the 70s spin to it. And this feels more like they're trying to recreate a noir from the forties with that narration. You can't forget the past any more than you can change it. Hearing Catherine Mulray's name started me thinking about old secrets, family, property, and a guy doing his partner dirt. Memories are like that, as unpredictable as nitro, and you never know what's gonna set one off. Like the clues that keep you on the right track are never where you look for them. They fall out of the pocket of somebody else's suit you pick up at the cleaners. They're in the tomb you can't stop humming that you never heard in your life. They're at the other end of the wrong number you dial in the middle of the night. The signs are in all those old, familiar places you only think you've never been before. But you get used to seeing them out of the corner of your eye, and you end up tripping over the ones that are right in front of you. I should have been wise to Berman's hand-wringing act from the very beginning. It was as plain as the shoes on his feet. It kind of works because Nicholson's character in this movie is why I think it's the movie's like almost there to being really good is that I think Nicholson's choice or thought to like investigate or, or, or dive more into the Jake Giddis character. And like, there's more to this character. Like that's the thing is like, think of like Jake of like witnessing someone that he has feelings for, get shot and killed at the end of the last movie. And then he's still like haunted by what he could have done to help her out. And now he's come back an older man. And the name of one of the people, basically at the end of the movie, a uh, Catherine Mulray uh, at the end of Chinatown is, is the, the sister or daughter to Faye Dunaway's character, Evelyn Mulray. 
and Catherine Mulway kind of goes off into the darkness with John Huston, her father's character, and like never heard of again. And Jake Giddis is kind of like whatever happened to her. And this movie, her name gets brought up on the tape when when uh, at the very beginning of the movie when he's recording uh, Jake's wife and Jake's business, Jake Berman's business partner and Jake's wife. The name Catherine Mulray is brought up, and Nicholson's like, I haven't heard that name in a decade. Why is she being brought into this case? So it's him re like reevaluating like what happened back then. Can he fix what's in his soul, like the kind of the like the the hole in his soul of what happened in the original Chinatown? Can he fix it now? And that's kind of what he's, I think, tormented by. And I, I think that kind of choice to examine that is smart but just something's just not hitting with it for me it ties into a little bit of even what thomas mentioned on kind of the last episode of like getting a character and kind of having them like relearn the same lesson in a lot of yeah. ways of just kind of this idea of coming back and trying to learn from it but also confronting it at the same time like this sort of flick of uh you're seeing the past on one side while also trying to live in the present just this constant yeah. um war that he has with himself internally yeah and i think it was smart to do that it's just like i don't know if it's the the time period i don't know if it's i don't know if it's the plot because i'm mean, again trying like i said China, i keep saying it chinatown's plot is also pretty uh complex and convoluted in some points but it somehow works to me and may it takes a few rewatches but two jakes it's like there's a whole bit about oil that we go off for like a, a few scenes and then like it comes back at the very end. I'm like, wait, was this all about oil the entire time? Like we only had a few scenes about it and it's a good, there's a good scene between uh, Giddis and Richard Farnsworth who plays this oil baron basically in Los Angeles, who's essentially like drilling, I think illegally uh, in land that he doesn't own to get oil from it basically. And that's just kind of a, a last minute thing. It feels like um, I like the scenes between Meg Tilly and Jack Nicholson. The the kitty kitty is the uh, Catherine Berman, who is as Kaitel's wife. Uh, she's really good. The scene the scene where the big reveal is is a well done scene between her and Nicholson, where she reveals that she's actually Catherine Mulray. I think they have good chemistry together. I think him. I think him and him and Kaitel have some really good moments together. Uh, on the golf course. I mean, the big one to me is their ending scene when they're in the real estate thing. And Kaitel's character is interesting too, because he's, he talks about how like he's building all these houses in like this suburban neighborhood. He's like, yeah, I can build them all, but I can't even live here because I'm Jewish. Like it's this, you, it's, it's, he's a very unique character where like he is, is a rich man who's building all these homes and he's trying to help out these, these veterans who are returning home from war who are moving out Los Angeles to give them a good home with their new, with their young wives or whatever. And I don't know. It feels like everyone's almost there in this movie. And I don't know like how you fix it. I think part of kind of what you're saying of what makes it feel a little like convoluted or complicated is that it feels like there are a lot of side characters that don't have much of a payoff in terms of like why they need to be there. Of kind of like what you're saying yeah. with Mickey's like gangster character, like it, it feels kind of like in certain moments of like, is he like a third party who has his own reasons? Is he working with someone else? And like, there feel like there were a lot of characters uh, that just kind of didn't tie into everything or like, 
I guess didn't feel yeah. like they really paid off toward the end. That that was I feel like they add a lot. Like, like for example, Madeline Stowe character and Madeline who plays Lillian uh, Bodine. I was going to mention who's that. The, <laughs> who's who's the wife? Oh yeah, who's the wife of uh, uh, the guy who gets the the husband who gets killed? I love Madeline Stowe in this time period, like in in the period of like her career. I really love Madeline Stowe in movies. And it feels like she's so underutilized and they have these really weird moments with her. Like the sex scene is one of the weird, <laughs> it's one of the weirdest scenes I've seen in a while where I just, I don't know. It's, I, it's just, it was a weird, weird moment where it feels like, like we got to have a sex scene here. Let's make it weird. Where she's like Nicholson, like unbuckles her, like her, her lingerie. It's like, okay. I can't do the rest of the other two. It's just a very weird. She like, tells her like you could potentially get like five or six million. Oh, let me go talk to my lawyer. I can't do that. And it, yeah. it's just like, I, I don't. What are we doing here then? I don't know. I mean, we could have cut this, and I don't think we would have lost anything. Yeah, there's a lot of threads that are just left hanging there. Which is, which is the thing is like that's common in these type movies. That's the thing is like I get it. It's, a lot of the stuff we're doing is very common. But like the thing that made Chinatown so unique was it took the common things of the genre and twisted them just enough to make to make it feel fresh and new. And this just kind of like, let's just do the same thing. Like, let's do the very big sleep, like early 40s convoluted, crazy plot that you're going to question the entire time. But it doesn't matter because it's more about the characters. I get that. But yeah, like Madeline Stowe, like I would think would have such a bigger part. Like she's kind of a femme fatale, but not really a femme fatale. Cause like she doesn't really betray Giddies in any way. Like, I don't really know what she's like wanting. Um like, yeah, there's a there's a lot of like I just a lot like there's like And then we don't see her again until the courtroom. Yeah, like and that's like maybe I don't know how far that is in the movie. But yeah, she she doesn't pop after that sex scene, she does not pop up again to the end of the movie. And she's like, oh, this tape is wrong. Like and I also was kind of weirded out too, like when she's when they have right before the sex scene when he's playing her the tape of her husband getting murdered, where she's just like, No, don't let me listen. And she like tackles Nicholson to where he can't stop the tape. And I was like, Does she want like what? What's the purpose here? Does she want to hear it? And that's why she's doing this. Like I was just, I was very confused by like that character, and I feel like she could like, she could be there, like it could work, but just somehow just doesn't land. They're not gonna get away with this, Mrs. Bodine. If you were there, you would have known that when Mr. Berman saw Mrs. Berman in bed with your husband. He just lost his head. That little prick never lost his head of the first nickel he ever made. Not only that, there's Kitty Berman. She's a cold-hearted, frigid bitch. She and Jake were in this together. In what together? Jake and Kitty Berman killed my husband and you helped. What the hell? I'm going home now and I'm going to call the newspapers. Uh, Mrs. Bodine, it would be highly irresponsible of me to allow you to do that. <laughs> give me one good reason. I'll give you two. You can't walk and you shouldn't drive. But yeah, uh, because so, we're, we're talking about favorite scenes and we're kind of just hating on some of these parts of these movies. Um, I like the, I like the, re the, the, the bringing back James Hong, who plays, uh, Khan, who is the, the butler in Chinatown of Fade Dunaway, where like, 
Jake goes and sees him and kind of like just has this conversation with him asking like where where is Catherine Mulray and he's like can't tell you that like I think that's I, I do like the connections back to Chinatown I think that's very smart and I think they're done fairly well but I I think I would lean more more into like Jake being a tormented soul of what happened in the last movie I don't feel like we really hit that as much as they could in this film yeah i felt like the only kind of real i i guess sort of like you're saying this um this kind of confrontation or this uh like this tormentation that you're sort of referring to in that one scene that he has with a loach in the uh in the police station yeah about to like just have him suck on the gun and like he had there's like a brief flashback he has to seeing yeah. uh, dunaway's character but again, like it, it's kind of there, and then like we just kind of get hints of it with like some of the voiceover monologues. But yeah, I yeah. mean, we don't get a very strong sense, uh, I guess, visually of, of more of what you're saying, yeah. visually of kind of his his own torment. We get a lot of dialogue toward it, but we don't get a lot of visuals of that confrontation. What what frustrates me most about most movies, it's like if they're bad, I can deal with it. What frustrates me more is that when you almost have have something and you don't fully reach it and that's what's frustrating me about two jakes like it's like a three-star movie maybe three and a half because i think nicholson's really good in this film and i like i like the performances in it but like it's just it's almost there of being like i think it's a fi- it's i think it's a fine sequel but it's not a it's not a, wor- a, a worthy sequel to Chinatown. Like, how can you remake a ma- how can you give, give a sequel to a masterpiece? It's, it's difficult. I do think that like it. You talked about cinematography earlier. I think cinematography. It's shot by Vilmos Zygmunt, who's a phenomenal was a phenomenal DP, and he really does capture the essence of that era of 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 nineteen forties Los Angeles. Like I know when watching it, I was very much reminded of the. Uh, the, the recent uh, HBO series Perry Mason because it takes place I think pre World War One but like it captures there's certain scenes like I think they go to Orange Grove uh, and Perry Mason they go to Orange Grove here because that's where the real estate is being built um, in Los Angeles it's a very like it's it has it has a really good look to it I love the like the driving through LA scenes when Nicholson's driving and like lighting up a cigarette and you're kind of like in the back of the car like seeing all the lights and everything. I think it's a well Nicholson does a decent job directing it. it the, the problems I think lie in the script. It's almost there. It's almost there. Um, I'm trying to think of some, some of the lines. There's the big line of just like, that's the thing about the past. Like it's always, it's, there's always something left to uncover or something. I think that's what they say. Like there's a lot, there are a lot of good lines in this movie, but we just, we never really, they don't never, nothing really adds up in the end. And as you talked about, there's not really a huge reveal. There's a reveal in this movie, but nowhere near like the reveal in Chinatown, like the reveal in this movie is that the girl, that the, that the wife is Catherine Mulray. But in reality, if you pay attention, it's a kind of an easy guess like if you really look at it chinatown that reveal comes out of nowhere and you're just like what the hell just happened and that changes the entire perspective of the entire movie that's not present in the two jakes there's a really 
great voiceover he has about kind of following the money versus following your heart and like where those things yeah. kind of lead into and him yeah. kind of going to um what was he going to the like an oil rig or was he going to like the real estate development because he's like driving through these kind of orange groves when he's that's probably the, the real estate real estate development yeah, yeah. and I absolutely, yeah. I mean, a lot of those I just love. And I mean, he definitely hits them out of the park on a lot of yeah. those. I mean, I think his performance is really what puts it at kind of like you're saying that three, three and a half, just because he, yeah. he nails it perfectly. Yeah. It's kind of everything that surrounds it that just gets complicated. And it feels like there's a lot of factions and people that I, I you know, there's like three different people, it feels like, that are after this tape for their own. Yeah kind of reasons and then he's sort of forced to give the tape because then he can yeah. then be kind of led as in he kind of let he kind of almost yeah. like as a i guess an accessory to a murder or in some cases I, i'm trying to remember what the lawyer character was telling was more or less kind of pushing him to do um oh uh e eli wallach oh god I don't remember. like it's it's i think he again i don't know who's on what side in this movie if that makes right. sense that's that's the big confusion. I don't know who. Um, and then even the lawyer who, like, in that scene is there in like that one scene. Which which lawyer are you talking about? Uh, uh, the one who calls him during the earthquake, Eli Wallach's character. You know, I'm talking about the, the earthquake. It's a scene where uh, he visits the. Um, oh oh, that lawyer. Yes, when 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 yeah, multiple uh, when he visits Madeline Stowe and she. Yeah, there's no lawyers. Yeah, it's, it's the moment when, uh, yeah, it's what we're talking about now. And I, Frederick Forrest is a good actor, and he does a good scene in that. But yeah, he shows up for that one scene where he tells Nick, like after Madeline Stowe, I think almost had a, a, a drug overdose, is what it was, and kind of tells like Nicholson what to do. And then like another woman comes in and says like tells the lawyer like what she sh he should be saying. I don't even know who that woman was. Like that was a big like thread that was just left there. Just for a movie, it's two hours and 17 minutes. I feel like a lot was cut out of this movie for it to like make sense. Right. Yeah. It feels like definitely like Richard a lot Sparns of the characters would have had oil. bigger characters or like they were set up to have, yeah. they should have been, if not, they should have been set up to be bigger characters. I agree. I, I said, I like the Madeline Stowe scenes. I like the Kytel stuff. I think the Kytel and Nichols and stuff is probably the highlights of the movie are those two because they're such two great actors who have sustained careers for decades. And I said, I like the Meg Tilly stuff. I don't think Meg Tilly has a lot to do until like over halfway through the movie. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You said it's a lot of characters, a lot of characters in this, but I, I do think again, I, again, if you had to pick like one thing that I love the most, it's Nicholson and probably, his narration, even though I would be interested to see what the movie is without it. But I think the writing and the narration is when the writing's at its peak. Like when he's talking about like driving in LA at night and how it's different at night than when it's in the day and how the oil rigs outnumber the palm trees, but you can't tell at night because they all look the same. That stuff is, is the strong stuff of the movie. The city's different at night. The air smells better. It's harder to see that the oil rigs outnumber the palm trees, and it's almost like the good old days. At least the way I'd like to remember them. But stay in this business long enough, and every street leads to a place you'd like to forget. 
Every case brings back memories of what you should have done and what might have been, and every skirt reminds you of another woman. Or, if you've got it bad enough, the same woman. Onset Life. Apparently, I know Nick, so Robert, Robert Town wrote the script. Nicholson, I believe, rewrote the script. Filming took place from April 18th, April 18th, 1989 to July 26th, 1989 was supposed to be released in Christmas allegedly, um, but didn't get released until August of 1990. And the final cost of the movie was $25 million. Um, the film ended up having a, causing a personal fallout between Nicholson, who was the, the director and star Robert town, the writer and Robert Evans, who was the producer with Town saying in 19, 1998 that he hadn't spoken to Nicholson in over 10 years. Yeah, it was a flawed movie. Uh, I don't, the box office wise only made $10 million. $10 million. Um, reviews were okay. Roger Ebert did give it a 3.5 out of 4. He was a fan of the movie. But yeah, it was supposed to be this chapter 2 of a trilogy was what it was. Uh, Robert Town said that he originally planned on kind of uh, following the invest uh, JJ Giddis uh, into to 1968, which would have been interesting to put that character in LA at the time of like uh, essentially once upon a time in Hollywood time in 1968 of like turn of like there's a changing in the in the in the world changing in the country at that point and putting Nicholson as Giddis in 1968 would have been interesting. I do think if, if if they had originally planned, even though they said they did, if they had like an initial plan of ha this is how we're going to do a trilogy and come back every 10 to 15 years to do it. And I, 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 it's because that character of Giddis and Nicholson's so such a damn good actor, it could have been really good, but we just never, we never hit it. Um, moving on. We've talked a little bit about this, but what worked about this movie? Uh, I think the cinematography and Nicholson's performance to me are the two kind of shining things that really hit me. Uh, a lot of brilliant light setups, camera work, really some really good angles. I'm trying to think of there was one of him, uh, Nicholson's character walking with Lou Escobar up into the station. And there's just like one single shot of them when they're in the station and the camera is kind of set below the two actors um, so you're kind of yeah. seeing them overhead, uh, looks great. And yeah, Nicholson performance. I mean, we've, I think we've harped on him enough <laughs> for this one, but, uh, yeah. those really kind of put it over the top for me yeah. in terms of what really works. Yeah, I, I agree that the cinematography works. I think that the score, it's not as good as Jerry Goldsmith's score from the first film, but I do think, uh, the score by Van Dyke Parks is pretty good in this movie. They capture LA pretty well of like 1940s post-world war ii um i think they do a good job of like capturing that world um i think uh yeah i i think that the direction is fine i think i i think again we'll, we'll i guess we'll transition to this now but like what didn't work and i think it's like the script is just not fully there um again i i feel like we, we like i said we keep harping on the same things because i feel like that's the key of like if you fix these kind of these the script or whatever it also does have a little bit of like too much like late 80s early 90s vibe to it in certain spots like in terms of like how they edit 
like the 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 cut at like they end with like a a freeze frame on uh Giddis's like door of like private investigator or whatever and I was like that's a very like 80s early 90s like trope of ending your movie on a freeze frame and I feel like that just doesn't work for this style of movie um let's see what else was there I will say it's too long like it's, it's yeah probably, about yeah about it's, like it's, after it's, an it's hour 40 I was kind of done like I, I was ready like yeah. right at the scene between Nicholson and uh the Meg Tilly and that kind of reveal and like you're getting the clue of like the yeah. flower ornament that's in her hair yeah. and it relates to his scene with Khan I feel like it was at that point yeah. like I actually checked the time code of like okay I'm I'm about done like I feel like we we've hit the hour 40 and yeah it was definitely a slow yeah, burn for a lot of things and i was really hoping yeah. the courtroom scene would kind of hit me bigger in terms of kind of like the final kind of blowout of um, yeah. him changing the tape and i don't know it, it's it's kind of missing a certain magic that the original had and i don't know i don't know what that magic is it, it may because again we talk about the cinematography is good but like there's certain moments that probably feel too modern for that air and maybe it's like it's in the cutting maybe um and nicholson is so like jack nicholson is at this point in time has become a persona in a way so like the glasses he's wearing i don't know if they're of that period but they they feel very much more like the jack nicholson glasses he wears like a at a lakers game in the 1990s like something about just there's a little bit of a disconnect um in in that area so i think one thing that this film may not kind of be hitting is having kind of the the ominous villain that i think really set the world for chinatown a lot and that's john houston's character playing noah cross and that i mean you get it a little bit i think with with uh, harvey Keitel's like it sort of that relationship between him and nicholson there sort of changes throughout because in the yeah, beginning yeah. when they're doing the recording like the, it's, it's this like client um relationship and then there's sort of this like blackmail on like you yeah. need to turn over this tape recording and then you get that kind of final scene with them of i want one last smoke and like you kind of get this much more empathetic scene like you, that's one thing that i think kind of yeah. worked was like seeing the arc of their relationship change so much um uh, maybe that we didn't hit on but yeah i yeah. think a maybe like a more defined villain. I, I think that that's sort of missing. Yeah. I think if we're kind of comparing on like, what's like the magic that's missing in this, I think yeah. it's definitely something in that vein. Yeah. It's, it's like, cause that's with Chinatown, you have the, the Noah cross like coming in and like, Oh honey. When like his daughter gets shot and like, but then like taking Catherine Mulray like and like going into the darkness it's that villainous kind of thing of like it's gonna happen again and that's the thing that we don't really get here we don't get the the oh uh, forget it Jake it's Chinatown of like of that constant cycle of no matter what we do we're gonna be going through we're gonna it's gonna be darkness all around us and that I don't know if everything that's, is rigged. Yeah, and I don't know if that's fully there because, like you say, you don't really have that villain. Like you could have leaned in a little bit more to Richard Farnsworth character Earl Raleigh, who's the uh, the oil like petroleum type 
guy. He has like two scenes. I think he's at the court. He's at the trial. And he's also Dickelson goes and talks to him at the oil rig and they have a good scene together. And then you have the point, you have the part where, uh, Tyrone Otley, who is like a, uh, like a mechanic who has a bunch of different jobs, but like he's going to tell Nicholson or Giddy's about something, but then somehow Raleigh or Raleigh's people get to him and he start he doesn't, he stops talking. So like, there's just something there where like, that's the story that could go deeper. Um, I, I really, a confused part that I really didn't get was that, uh, Harvey Keitel's character like is sick and like, I, I guess like has cancer or something. It's not really said. And that's why he did this. So he can make sure his wife has money. Did I misinterpret that? It felt like, cause it's like he was sick. He didn't tell his wife, but he sets up this whole thing to where he can like get money for her. So when he dies, the other guy's not going to take it from her. It's like a very weird, there's a lot of different levels that don't need to be there. But as you said, the scene with him and Nicholson, their, their relationship does change. And you realize they're both kind of doing it to protect the women they love. It's the same woman. Kaitel's trying to protect his wife. And then Nicholson's trying to protect and try to right the wrong of what happened in Chinatown. And I just feel like if we lean more into that of Jake Giddis, it would be a lot better. Yeah, a little bit of Ebert's review. I think you kind of mentioned earlier and like he kind of made a point of, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of this battle of, you know, protecting those that you love versus kind of correcting or like correcting injustice or finding yeah. justice for people and just yeah. kind of the balance of those two yeah. and the way that they can all they can coincide with yeah. each other but they can also conflict yeah and like it's there but it, it gets muddled because of all the extra characters and extra plot they're adding in there how much do you want for those how much do you think i want for those Did he tell you who she was? No. Then how'd you find out? I just did my job. She couldn't tell you, Jake. And she didn't know what I was doing. I was too afraid that Della was sick. If she had known none of this would have happened. It's my fault. Oh, alternate universe and cast. We'll move on to that because this one's kind of crazy. Uh, I don't know what characters these people were playing, but these are people that are up for roles. Uh, Dustin Hoffman was, I guess, supposed to play Jake Berman at one point in the 70s. That fell through. Uh, then in the 1980s, the characters they had with Robert Evans playing... Uh, with Robert Evans playing Jake Berman, Kaitel's character, they still had Kaitel cast in the role or in the in the movie. I don't know for what role. They also had Kelly McGillis, uh, Kathy Moriarty, Dennis Hopper, and Joe Pesci in this movie. I don't know who all they would have been playing. And then, so then in the late '80s, they were trying to do, still trying to do it, but they weren't gonna have Nicholson play jake giddis they were gonna have harrison ford take over the role of jake giddis in this movie and it would have been harrison, would have been ford, a very jake harrison ford role 
for him. And that would have been interesting. Too. Like late 80s, Harrison Ford playing Jake Giddis. They had Roy Scheider set up to play uh, Jake Berman. Could have been an interesting cast. I don't, I don't say it would have been better, but that would have been interesting to see Harrison Ford and Roy Scheider. I think it's all Nicholson, though, but I, I, I love the idea of Roy Scheider playing Jake Berman. We've talked about him on the show before um, with all that jazz, who's just an underrated actor of his time and could have been really intriguing to see him play this role. Um, but yeah, a lot of big name like, like actors um, who were involved in this. Um, any film facts? This is also kind of oh yeah, film facts. It's kind of also onset life. Uh, there's a lot of lawsuits with this movie. Uh, apparently, 120 crew members had not been paid when they tried to make this movie in the 80s, and that meant over $500,000 from Screen Actors Guild and Directors Guild members and then 1.5 million was owed to suppliers of sets props costumes and sound stages so like that's a reason why nicholson got involved to direct it is that i think he said like that was a way to get rid of all the lawsuits that were happening because of the failed time they did it in the mid 1980s so yeah uh do you have any story questions i, I feel like we kind of confronted some of them like during our conversations i mean i like how we kind of answer our questions before we ask them <laughs> that seems to be like a running thing here um i mean other than like you know my only questions were really just some of the like we were saying the characters and factions just uh, tying into kind of the main plot like they all kind of have like everyone kind of has their one scene but a lot of their yep. their kind of individual scenes don't really tie into the main plot, and so they don't have yeah. a So you just start questioning, why are they written? Uh, like you're saying, I think they might have been written for a bigger role, and then like some stuff got cut from the script or got cut from the edit or something, yeah. and you know we just kind of have these scenes that are just kind of end up feeling slapped together. And it's like, hey, let's get let's get a good actor to put in this role. Let's get Frederick Forrest, who's like. Uh, Oscar nominee at this point had been in Apocalypse Now and it's like yeah we're just gonna use this one scene as a lawyer where he gives a little bit of exposition and then never comes back again or Richard Farnsworth who's this talented actor around that time who was kind of going through like a renaissance in the 80s it felt like and it's just like yeah we're gonna have him for two scenes um it it, it felt like Nicholson was calling in some favors or something like a friends of his to come do this movie um awards uh, the Beatrice Strait Award for actor and actress with less than four scenes that kills it. Who do you, who do you, who do you going up for? Who are you nominating? I'm going to go with Farnsworth. You know, I, I think, okay. you know, he's limited, but I think he, he sells it as uh, the oil guy for sure. Oil tycoon. He's great. Yeah, he, 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 yeah, he, he is. Um, and he does. He, uh, he has like, he doesn't have the, the evilness that Noah Cross does when you first see him. But I do think like Farnsworth is the type of person like or this character in this movie gets you with that like twinkle in the eye, like kind of like old Southern. I don't know if he's Southern, but kind of like Texan type dude, it feels like. And then he'll just stab you right in the back. Like I could see that happening. Yeah, Farnsworth's up there for me. I do like Frederick Forrest uh, in the role of the of the lawyer for the one scene. Eli Wallach's pretty good. Uh, Reuben Blades, who plays Mickey. He might be in too many scenes. I'll go with Farnsworth. I agree with you. I like Farnsworth in this movie. He came to me for help purely as a friend. Frightened of Berman and Mr. Nice. Yes, indeed. Not too frightened to sleep with Berman's wife. 
tell you what we'll do, John. <laughs> you tell me what the hell you think's going on here, and I'll tell you if I think you're right. Mr. Raleigh, I think you think there's oil under the B&B subdivision, and I think you're trying to get to whoever has the mineral rights. All I'd find under that subdivision is a lot of hot air and gas. You want to know why? Look up and down the coast here, Summerlin, Huntington Beach, Bolsa Chica. That's where the oil is. That's where it's juicy, out there. It ain't 6,000 feet inland down to 2,000 extra feet of Cretaceous granite. Have I answered all your questions? All right, the Annie Potts X Factor Award, actor or actress in a supporting role that's most memorable. This one's tough. It's the question is, is Kaitel a lead or is Kaitel a supporting role? Mm, I mean, I feel like Kaitel might be too big in this movie. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some moments, I mean, where it can almost feel like dual protagonist. But I, I think in the end, I think it's mostly kind of yeah. Jack's like torment and uh, him kind of revisiting this and like yeah. trying to solve the case while also confronting his own trauma. So I definitely put him in the supporting actor role but i agree with you like he almost feels too big to give him that award in some ways yeah i think he's too big I, I, uh, well disqualified he's too big um i mean i guess to me it's between meg tilly or madeline stowe as kitty go or lily i'm gonna go with meg tilly as well also a talented actress who didn't work that much i think she stopped she stopped in 95 for a bit this is one of her last movie, or one of her last few movies before she took a huge break. All I ever wanted all these years was just to see that you hadn't been hurt. And that you wouldn't be hurt. I didn't want you to be involved. <laughs> I am involved, you crazy husband, some of that. I didn't want to give you any reason not to testify. You said you'd always protect me, no matter what. I knew you would. What about Jane? I don't know. I don't know about Jacob. He made me feel like I could live a normal life like anybody else. He was romantic. He's a murderer, right? I mean, the Gene Hackman MVP award, actor, actress, director, crew member that carries the movie. I mean, it has to be Nicholson. Yeah, it's pretty hard to not give it to him. Yeah, like if you, I, if you don't have Nicholson in this movie, I mean, I mean, in a in a in a, in a, in a different world, it's Harrison Ford, like being directed by like Peter Weir doing a Chinatown movie. Maybe, uh, maybe maybe it's it's like it's a better film. But I think if you don't have Nicholson in this role the movie just doesn't like i won't say it's not watchable but like i i think he 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 elevates this movie in a way that i don't know if any other actor would have been able to do maybe i didn't tell the whole truth at the preliminary hearing but there's one thing i've learned about the truth a little bit goes a long way 
And splashing Catherine Mulray's past all over the L.A. Times wouldn't do anybody any good. That's one truth Jake and I had in common. Berman's x-rays said more than a couple of missing words on a wire recording. What's the difference who passes the sentence, a doctor or a judge? This way, Catherine can deal with her ghosts in private. And I can try to tell myself I kept my promise. But that's the problem with the past. There's always plenty more where that came from. So final questions. Uh, if this film was made today, who do you cast? Mm, I'm, I'm almost scared to, to do this again after <laughs> last time. I'm a little uh, hesitant here. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm interested to kind of see the, the Harrison Ford and Roy Scheider kind of duo and just to see kind of how much that would have kind of changed the vibe of it. I mean, because uh, just having kind of like a younger actor kind of taking, I mean, I guess they're, I mean, are they relatively similar in age? I'm not sure. I mean, they would definitely be uh, younger Ford, at that point, I would think. Ford is younger. Ford is Yeah, Ford so is I mean, seeing kind of maybe what would that kind of dynamic bring? Because I think part of what kind of sets two Jakes up is that it's, you know, it's all this time has passed and he's kind of being brought back in after all these years, after going through a war and confronting this versus kind of, I, I mean, with Ford, it would almost feel like a reboot in some ways like it, it would be yeah, so it would. hard to kind of you couldn't really build off no. of this stuff i mean you have to let him just make it his own so that could kind yeah. of be interesting i mean the more we talk about it i mean it becomes evident of just how integral i mean nicholson is kind of central to all of this yeah um, yeah but i think that would have been an interesting duo to have yeah when i think when i think of chinatown i think of jack nicholson like and and I don't I, I don't know if there's a world where you had like a Jake Giddis series like movie series. I don't know if that's what we needed in like post Chinatown. I'm not sure. Um who would I cast today? Maybe Downey. Downey could be fun in this role. Like he was supposed to play Perry Mason originally in the show, uh, and then backed out, and then Matthew Reese came in, who's I think who's great in that show but I, I i could see downey trying to play like this detective uh in the 40s he did i think he did it a little bit with singing detective um I, i'd buy that i'd buy downey i don't know who you cast for who like see jake berman woody harrelson robert downey jr and woody, woody harrelson and woody wow, harrelson of those two i like i like woody harrelson and robert downey jr just for the fun of it screw it who cares am i right who, like, let's let's remake two jakes with those guys um does this film fit with any other genres i mean we talked about noir yeah i mean noir mystery uh you could i, I mean if you're getting into the subgenre of maybe like psychological drama a bit um yeah like there, it's a, it's it's weird like there, there's not it's like plays a little bit like a thriller in moments but it's not really a thriller definitely as a noir and like the neo-noir style um yeah like it's it's like it's kind of it's like some i think i think someone ebert or someone listed is like it's somewhat of a whodunit but not a whodunit yeah it's, it's got a lot of elements of other genres but it doesn't really you can't really put them in those genres either it sums up the movie is that and they fully commits to one thing it just kind of like teeters on the edge of like almost being there 
and then just doesn't go fully. Um, how does this film fit within the sequel category? I would say definitely a little bit of, and I think I mentioned it a little earlier, but I think Thomas had a really good point in last week's episode of like kind of like teaching a character, like reteaching a lesson for them yeah. to learn. I think that's very prevalent in this of seeing how much of uh, Giddis is trying to confront and kind of push past his own past, but constantly yeah. kind of coming back and being haunted by yeah. it and how much of, Catherine and Kitty and like how everything kind of comes back to him even if it's not intended for him to go back to those things he can't also help he wants to be rid of it but he can't help but think about it because it was such a traumatic event and I think being able to kind of tie all of those things definitely kind of helps push it into the sequel category very well yeah no I agree and you have that like long gap that is kind of coming prevalent in a lot of sequels nowadays like the decades long gap yeah, I agree with you. That's that's kind of I'll, just going back to like the of like a sequel being made. Like this definitely feels like, hey, the studio really wants to do it, and the people behind it really want to do it. But I'm like, why is this being like? Why do we need a sequel to Chinatown? Is kind of my who was clamoring for this? I don't know. And the ending right. of Chinatown kind of sews up everything. Yeah, so yeah. much that it doesn't really give itself room for you to have yeah. a sequel. You have to really pull one out to make one. Yeah. Like it, like it kind of makes sense that we just end on forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown because that's such a like shit. Everything went wrong, and nothing that that Giddis tried to do went was successful. And he's lost kind of like he gains his soul and then almost loses it in the end because of how evil the rest of the world is and how the world isn't all the the evil isn't coming from like gang members or drug dealers. It's the people who control our society. And that's not what's really, that's what's not really captured here. <sighs> yeah, that's all I have to say about the two Jakes. How do you feel about watching it now? Before, like, before we, you pitched it as an episode we should do, both you and I hadn't seen it yet. How do you feel about it now that we've gone through it? I agree with definitely putting in, like, it feels like a 3, 3.5 kind of movie. It's an interesting kind of sequel because i think it's good to kind of look at sequels that don't necessarily take off or necessarily hit as much as the original and i think there's always kind of that expectation that they're supposed to build and be better and for this for an original with chinatown being such a widely acclaimed and well-liked movie and to kind of see a return to the world but then like it not feel like certain things just don't kind of work uh I like it. And it's one of those of like, I really want this to work, but I just, yeah. th- there's so many other issues I can't really look. I, there's not enough things that are done right for me to look past what's wrong. And yeah. that makes it like a very, again, I'm kind of like you where it's like, it's almost there. And like, I, I really want this to be like this yeah. like super underrated film that like nobody like, gave enough credit for. And I'm like, no, it, I, I understand why we don't, talk about it yeah yeah like it, it's a good like i'll watch that once maybe twice to see if it improves but i don't see myself like let me go revisit two jakes this year like i i just don't see it as a worthy study except like maybe it's like it's a sequel that doesn't doesn't live up to the masterpiece of the original the masterpiece it's the original and like it's it's just it's 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 like it's just it's it's yeah it's 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 middling it's 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 mediocre i guess you could say not terrible not great but 
we I think we kind of showed that like not all sequel I mean not all sequels most sequels Thomas mentioned this earlier too is like most sequels aren't good they don't like reach the heights of the original um, some are downright terrible but I think two Jakes kind of fits somewhere in the middle any more comments on two Jakes before we end the end the show no I think that wraps it for me <laughs> okay well guys thank you so much for listening uh, we for the rest for we have one more episode this this month where we're talking about the filmography of James Cameron. So go and watch some of his films if you can. I think some of them are streaming. Some are on HBO Max. I think The Abyss is on HBO Max. I think Terminator 2 and maybe Terminator 1 are also on there. Um, but go check that out. Uh, we're going to be talking about that next week on Sination Podcast. And make sure you give us a like, or make sure you give us a, a rating and review on our podcast. You can subscribe to us there or on Spotify and Stitcher or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we're writing on Medium. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on again to talk about Two Jakes with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. For sure. And guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.